Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. We begin reading in verse 37. These are familiar verses to those of us that uh, have been around this church. Um, the, the, the plan of God is so clear in this passage. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, this is the message of Peter, they were pricked in their heart and sent it to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen. amen. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. My, my thought and topic today is after Acts 2.38. Somebody say after Acts 2.38. Heavenly Father, we love you today and we thank you, Lord, for being in your house. We praise you, God. Today is the day that you have made, Lord, and we need you like never before. We stand upon your word, God. When we can't see our way clear, you are the one that knows where we are. God, you walk on the storms to our life today, and we give you praise, Lord, that you are great and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' mighty name, let everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated after Acts 2.38. We know that Peter in this setting was standing with the 11, the 11 other disciples, and he handed to them, he preached to them, the answer of salvation. Capsulized in this Pentecostal message was the key of the kingdom that no doubt Jesus referred to when he said, I give to you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom. The message of Pentecost is simply knowing that God poured out his answer his salvation, and now Peter is telling them what happened since 50 days. Simply, he began to preach clearly the word of God in truth and doctrine. Peter laid out the foundation for the greatest movement that would ever grace the pages of human history, and that's the church. He said and told them that Jesus was a man, but he was a man approved of God among them with wonders and signs. He was visible. He didn't do it in a corner. He didn't hide out somewhere. He was very upfront with his ministry. 
Amen. It was, it was the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God that sent Christ to the cross, Peter says. Why the cross? Why that being his determinate counsel? Because man needed redemption. Man needed salvation. Amen. He was taken to die, Christ was, by hell's design, but by heaven's will. But in reality, we find that this, this, this horrible event was our pathway to redemption. To the, to the Gentiles, it is foolishness, the cross says. But to us, it's the power of God unto salvation. To the, to the super smart, the cross doesn't look like much. Matter of fact, it doesn't even appear to be uh, something of value. But to us, it is the power of of God. Amen. We find that Peter's preaching and he's letting us know that sin was not in Christ, but rather our sin was applied to him that we might have redemption. Amen. He told them in verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Yes, you killed Jesus. Yes, you hung him on the cross. Yes, you beat his back. Yes, you drove the nails in his hands and you pulled out his beard. Amen. And put a crown of thorns upon him. Amen. But know this, the one you crucified, this same Jesus, Peter said, is both Lord and Christ. Can you thank him for being risen today? Amen. Can you thank him that he died and rose again for us? Titus tells us, uh, in, in, in the book of Titus, it tells us that, that, that they gave him, Jesus gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purity unto himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Amen. Hebrews writes that he obtained redemption for us in 9 and 12. In Acts, we find he purchased the church with his own blood. Chapter 20 and verse 8. In Ephesians, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace in chapter 1 and 7. In Romans, Jesus provided eternal life as the free gift in chapter 6 and 23. In Galatians, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law in chapter 3 and verse 13. We find that it, Paul writes to the Corinthian church that we are bought with a price. We are not our own. Amen. I thank uh, uh, the Lord for his sacrifice for us. Amen. While we were sinners, Paul writes to the Romans, Christ died for us. Isaiah prophesied long before that, that Christ, the Messiah, he would be wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Amen. Peter delivered the gospel message of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and that is their salvation for all through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
He presented them not only the message, but also the method. People say that methods don't matter. Well, in this particular sense, it does. That Peter said to repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But Paul picks up the narrative of this gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Everybody say the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which you are saved. So it is the gospel that saves us. He said, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how the Christ died for our sins. Somebody say, he died according to scriptures, and that he was buried, amen, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel message is simply wrapped up in the foundational thought of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know this, don't you? How many know this today? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection, that he died for our sins. He was buried, amen, and then he rose again on the third day. Peter unpacked the message that would save a world in 34 words. In 34 words, he talked about how that every man, woman, boy, and girl could be saved. In 34 words, he talked about how that every nation, every tongue, every language, every culture, every individual could be saved. Amen. If you and I would try to, to put together a salvation plan, then we would have a manual. But the gospel is simple. Death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance, death, baptism, burial. Amen. Receiving the Holy Ghost is resurrection. It can't be any clearer than that. It can't be any more sure than that. Amen. The plan of salvation and redemption is a non-negotiable. There is no other plan. Later in Acts, we find that, that, that it's in Acts 4 and 12 where neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So we have repented. We repent of our sins. We're buried with Christ in baptism. Amen. We have come alive again with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now what? Now what? Verse 39, he affirms the promise when he says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord our God shall call. Some people say that Acts 2.38 was only for the Jews. No, they need to read 39. It is for everyone that our Lord shall call. And then in verse 40, we find these words. And after many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. While Acts 2.38 is essential, there are many other words that calls us to a life of living in the kingdom. It calls us to Christian living. Amen. How we live after Acts 2.38 matters. 
how we live after we have been, after we have repented and been baptized and received the Holy Ghost. It matters after Acts 2.38. He said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves. One thing I think that is very important to do when you're studying Scripture is that when the word save is there, you need to know what it means. We need to know what it means because not every time you find the word saved does it mean initial salvation. It can mean rescue. It can mean that he saves us from something. It saves us from this and that. But, but he says, save yourself. How many know that we can't save ourselves? When it comes to initial salvation, we cannot save ourselves. I don't care how many times you go down in water, amen, if you're not going down in water in the lovely name of the Lord, you, you, you know, it's just not what the Bible says. Man, I'd love to just stop and tell you that Matthew wrote his book, the gospel, some 50-something, 60-something years after Acts chapter 2. Think about that. Matthew didn't write his gospel and write Matthew 28, 19 until after Acts chapter 2 had already happened. Oh, that, just let that sink in your crawl. But in, 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 in the idea of afterwards, when we talk about Acts 2.38, how we live, you know, folks say, all you talk about is that. No, it's the afterwards that I think is very important because there's a lot of people that got wet, but they never got after. There's a lot of people that repented, but they never got to after. Amen. There's a lot of people that even spoke in tongues, but they never got to after. There are people that, 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 that are in and out, up and down, cold one day, and they just never got the after. After is very important because the after is save yourselves from this untoward generation. Uh, uh, Paul writes to the Philippians the same idea when he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, Philippians 2 and 12, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. What a word to be able to say for a church. You always obeyed. I have not seen such a church in my life. Just putting that out there. Not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And then he says these phrases. What does he say? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now we know that is not initial salvation because Paul or Peter already has told us what it means to be in, to be born again by repentance, baptism, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. So, what is Paul talking about? He talks about by grace are we saved through faith. He talks about how that faith saves us, the blood saves us. But then he says, "But you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Can I tell you what he's talking about is the afterward, how I live after, how I deal with life after, how I approach the kingdom after. But look at this in verse 13. For it is God which worketh, with, worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. God's working in me and I got to work it out. God's working in me and I have to work it out. And he says, do it with fear and trembling. 
This old King James language sometimes gets us all tripped up when we see it through modern eyes and, 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 and 2022 uh, vocabulary. Fear and trembling. The phrase expresses a desire to not come short of the discharge of our duty. Not to come short of the discharge of our duty. Amen. This is not so much a dread of, of the master or the dread of God, but reflective of a genuine respect of the Lord's authority and the consequence, amen, that should follow if we disobey. Work out. Carry it out to the full extent. Amen. The Bible teaches us that initial salvation is worked in by the Holy Spirit. Amen. But it also works out in our life. That's after. After. After Acts 2.38, it's fear and trembling. I'm, I'm convinced that we're living in a generation that has a fear of a lot of things, but not a fear of God. A fear of a lot of things. There are more phobias today than ever, ever I've ever heard of. There's all kinds of phobias, all kinds of fears. There's some phobias they put names with that just don't make sense to me. Amen. But there is a fear of the Lord. There is a trembling attitude. Amen. Fear talks about an internal view of God. How I view God. How do I view God after I've been filled with his spirit? How do I view him after I take on his name? How do I view him in my walk of faith? You may not have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost yet, but can I tell you, walk in the fear of the Lord. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Trembling is an interesting word. It speaks about how I respond to God. Fear talks about what I think of God. Trembling talks about what I, how I respond to God. To God. Amen. Live your life after Acts 2.38 in the fear of the Lord. <laughs> Live your life in the fear of the Lord. That's how we save ourselves from this untoward generation. The Hebrew word for fear means more than a healthy reverence of God. It implies a terror or to be exceedingly dreadful. It is an awesome respect. It's a deep respect. It is a respect that... Many of you know my dad. I only got two spankings from my dad in my whole life. I got a spanking from my mom every day. At least that's my memory. But my dad had a, had a presence about him that I knew if I needed him, I'd run to him. But I also know if he did this, I knew whatever I was doing to stop. I, I, he didn't have to yell at me. He didn't have to holler at me. All he had to do is that he's been preaching before and be preaching up a storm in the middle of his message. Go, and I would look up and know that means quit what you're doing, stop, behave, and I would. I had a fear of my dad, but it wasn't a fear like, oh, I can't be around him. He's going to abuse me. He never did. But he had such a presence about him that even as his son, I knew I wanted to behave. Because those two whippings were enough for a lifetime. 
If in the natural, I have that, you have that recovery. Dear Lord, our world needs some of that. Some of these kids just need a good smack across the face. I know that's not politically correct, and that's going over line, and everybody's going to hear it and all this kind of stuff, but some of these kids need a good spanking. Hallelujah. Whew. Can I get an amen? amen. Maybe two of them. <laughs> But there ought to be something that says, I love him so much, I respect my heavenly father so much that there is a fear inside of my heart. I'm just not getting saved so I can breeze my way through the kingdom and have a wonderful time and feel good, but I am living my life in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I want to have a healthy respect of the fear of the Lord. If you want to pray for something for your children, don't pray that they'll be wise. Don't pray that they'll have a lot of money. But your number one prayer ought to be, oh God, make them have the fear of the Lord. Because if they have the fear of the Lord, then they will have wisdom. If they have the fear of the Lord, then they will have knowledge. They'll be blessed if they have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is more than, than having a reverence and an awe of God. It is an intense passion to please God. What do I do after Acts 2.38? Get an intense passion to please God. Get an intense passion, not for looking for exits and loopholes and how I can get away with this and how I can get past that, but rather I'm looking for every way that I can please my Heavenly Father. Not looking and seeing what little I can get by with and how little I can live for God and still make it to heaven, but have a passion for Him to please Him. That when He convicts me, I don't have to wait for a year before for it finally gets to my mind and my heart, but rather I'm quick to respond. Oh, Lord, help me to have that kind of fear. Let me have a fear of the Lord. That's what we do after Acts 2.38 is we work out our salvation then with fear and trembling. The writer says in Psalm 25 and 14, look at this. This is why I need the fear of the Lord. He said in Psalm 25 and 15, uh, 14, rather, 25 and 14, the secret of the Lord, everybody say the secret of the Lord, is with them that fear him. He will show them his covenant. Wow. The verse connects revelation to the fear of the Lord. You want to know the things of God? I had a man one time sit in my office and he, he began to say, I started studying about this particular thing, which is a very false doctrine. And he said, I went looking for it. And I found it. If you go looking for a false doctrine, you're going to find a false doctrine. If you go looking for truth, you will find truth. It's very important that we have an understanding of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear, the reference. It's what I do after Acts 2.38. I take on the fear of the Lord. As the writer said in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord tendeth the life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil 
I, I want that. How about you? It's a fear of the Lord that, 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 that makes the difference in our life. You don't want to make the difference between somebody that's got revelation and somebody that doesn't have the revelation, the fear of the Lord. You know what? Something, something will happen between those that are blessed and those that are not blessed is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord determines what you know and what I know. Because the writer says it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So the fear of the Lord determines what I know and what you know. The fear of the Lord will affect how you live and how I live. The fear of the Lord, the writer says, is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and ever evil way. The fear of the Lord is to hate pride, arrogancy, and every evil way. By the fear of the Lord, he said, men depart from evil. I want to tell you today, you, you got a problem with sin in your life. you got a problem with the issues and habits you can't overcome. Why don't, why don't you just begin to pray, oh God, let me see you in fresh light. Let me see you and let the fear of the Lord come over me. Amen. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of justice and kindness and long-suffering. But there's some of us that maybe need a view of God that says, he can zap me at any time. He can zap me at any time. Amen. The fear of the Lord impacts the length of life, according to the writer in Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Mm. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. Anybody want to live a little longer? Fear the Lord. Hallelujah. The fear of the Lord gives direction because in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord will bless your children. It'll bless your life. Amen. The writer even says it is the fountain of life. It is the, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. We need to have a healthy revival of a mentality after Acts 2.38, after we have been saved, after we have been filled with the Spirit of God, somebody say amen. amen. <clears throat> Look at this verse of Scripture and see if it doesn't speak to this generation. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 5. The just Lord is in the midst thereof, and he will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light, and he faileth not. But the unjust, listen to this, knoweth no shame. The unjust knoweth no shame. Where there is no fear, there is no shame. There is no shame. Where there is no fear of God, there is no opportunity to, to know the Lord, so there's no shame. Where there is no fear, there is no conviction. And where there is no conviction, there is no shame. Where there is no fear, there is no saving ourselves from an untoward generation. Daily, we need to be reminded today that we live in a world that has lost its sense of the fear of the Lord. We see that everywhere. A society that has no fear says, I will live any way I want and nobody can tell me otherwise. I can do what I want and nobody can tell me otherwise. Uh, amen. I can carry on like I want. I can have the attitude that I want. I can do whatever I want because it's me. 
that's kind of where we are today. The lack of the fear of the Lord can be readily seen by those who habitually, willfully, and continually commit sin. They bring a reproach. They continue to sin, and they flaunt it in the face of God and his people. These same people get angry when the church doesn't coddle and pamper them in their consequence after their sin. Can I tell you, you and I can pick our sin, but we can't pick our consequence. Oh, the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 5 and 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, and they that they may follow strong drink. They continue unto night till wine inflame them. Woe to those that are just addicted to parties. Maybe that's not a good scripture to read during Christmas. The harp and the viol and the tabret and the pipe and the wine are in their feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. How do you get knowledge? The fear of the Lord. And their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure in their glory and their multitude and their pomp and, and, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. They regarded not the work of the Lord, neither considered the operation of his hands, and therefore they have no knowledge. We are so smart and no knowledge when we have no fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that keeps us in a path that is right. It is the fear of the Lord that keeps us on, on the straight street, if you please. Moses said to the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you that, that his fear may be before your eyes that ye sin not. Oh, my, my. How many of you had your mom and dad tell you or your Sunday school teacher tell you God's watching you. And get your hands up. God's watching. Anybody ever told you God's watching you? How many of you had a big old eyeball that you had envisioned in your mind somewhere every room you walk into? Me and Brother Joe, a few others. Bishop, that kept me from doing a lot of stuff. When I was a little boy, it kept me from doing a lot of stuff because my mama said, everywhere you go, God's watching you. I took it literal because he is. Didn't always do right, but boy, I sure was watching for that eye. As an all, remember that song? As an all-seeing eye watching you. Mm -hmm. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. Would to God that there would be something in this generation that we get in their heart, known as the fear of the Lord, that would let them know, whoo, God's watching me. God is watching me. I, I, I don't have time to get caught up in my flesh. God is watching me. It's after Acts 2.38. We walk in the fear of the Lord. We walk in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29 says, For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They didn't receive the counsel of the Lord. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. 
For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and prosperity of fools shall destroy them. <clears throat> That's a mouthful there. But he says, But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Because they hated knowledge, they didn't have the fear of the Lord. But if you have the fear of the Lord, you're not going to be moved in the hour that we're living in. If you have the fear of the Lord, you will be quiet from the fear of evil. Woo! Hallelujah! You don't have to fear men, amen, if you have the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, 17 says, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely there is an end, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. The NIV reads of this passage, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. I like that. I like that. I like that. Amen. This is a way that we live after Acts 2.38. It is in the fear of of the Lord. Isaiah wrote and said and in 33 and 6, and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength and salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Hallelujah. The fear of the Lord. He will be a sure foundation for you in your times. A rich store and salvation with wisdom and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. <clears throat> Here's what I, I want you to know today is that God has your best interest in mind. God has my best interest in mind. Say that with me. God has my best interest in mind. <clears throat> Psalmist wrote in 34 and 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Somebody say amen. Blessed is a man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye saints. There is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Hallelujah. They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Why? It goes back to the fear of the Lord. Come, ye children, and hearken to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Amen. You cannot remove the fear of the Lord from our life and expect God's blessings. After Acts 2.38 is Acts 2.40. Save yourself. From this untowards. It's your decision. How you gonna live after? It's a personal decision. How you gonna live after God fills you and you come alive? How you gonna live after you've been baptized? <clears throat> How you gonna live after you've been after you've repented of your sins? How you gonna live after afterwards? Afterwards. Amen. <clears throat> Again, recapping. Paul's word to the Philippians, he said, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. The fear of the Lord is an awesome awareness that God is in the room. 
God is in the room. It's not just that an eye is watching you. God is in the room. And if he's watching me, he's also overseeing me. If he's watching me, he's there to protect me. He's not just there to judge me. He's there to protect me. If God is in the room, then he's there to bless me. If God is in the room, he's there to keep me. If God is in the room, then the peace is in the room. If God is in the room, then there's hope in the room. If God is in the room, then there's help in the room. Amen. The fear of the Lord is not just one-sided. Amen. But it leads us to the treasures of God. The fear of the Lord is also living in a constant state of awe. I'm in awe of you, Lord. The Lord responds then to that fear, that reverence. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Can I tell you? We will worship what we fear. We will worship what we respect and reverence. We will worship it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We find the psalmist said it like this. As for me, I will come to thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. The fear of the Lord is how we're going to worship. Hallelujah. The fear of God. I lift him up. I venerate him. I stand in awe of him. I love what he loves. I want to love what he loves. I want to value what he values. I want to believe what his word says. Amen. And what he hates, I need to hate. That is is saying, God, what is most important to you is most important to me. Oh, Lord, what is is most important to you that that there's a soul to be saved, oh, Lord, then it ought to be important to me. If it's important to you, Lord, that I walk holy, oh, God, then I want to walk holy. If it's important to you that I lift my hands in worship, Lord, then I want to lift my hands in worship. If it's important to you that I guide my tongue, oh, God, then I need to guide my tongue. Lord, if it's important to you that I have an attitude that is holy and righteous, then I need to have an attitude that is holy and righteous. If it's important to you that I study your word, oh God, then let me study your word. Somebody get a hold of an understanding of what happens after Acts 2.38. After Acts 2.38. The fear of the Lord is what makes missionaries go to foreign lands. The fear of the Lord is what makes those that have been abused decide that's not my testimony. Uh, It's a fear of the Lord today. Would you stand me, please? Living Acts 2.38 is understanding how to save ourselves from an untoward generation, how to save myself from thinking like the world, having a mindset of the world. I want to be saved from this untoward generation. Anybody here ever just say, man, this world's getting on my last nerve? This world's getting on my last nerve. 
I'll tell you how you can say goodbye to the world then. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the great counterbalance to the counterculture of this world. Thank you, Lord, today. Step out of the aisle. Let's come to the altar for a season of prayer today because there's somebody in this place that needs to commit to a time of pursuing the fear of the Lord. Amen. That, that, that says, I want to save myself from this untoward generation. I want to be very, very intentional about putting God first in my life for whatever I do, wherever I go. Hallelujah. Would you just open up your heart right now? Somebody begin to pray. Somebody begin to pray. Somebody begin to call. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.